Recently, I had an experience with credit card fraud that caused so much unnecessary stress and anxiety. I spent hours on the phone and in chats with my credit card company. I had to get two different cards before the fraud stopped and I was so worried about what was gonna happen to my money in my bank account. And I sometimes have the fear that it's gonna happen again, right? And that's why I'm so excited to introduce You Are The Healer's newest sponsor, Aura, an app for protecting online data and personal information. Cleaning up my information not only helps reduce the amount of spam I get, but it protects me from hackers who could use this information to help them access things like my social media accounts, bank accounts, and other sensitive information. Protecting yourself and your personal information is a form of self-care. I swear. Go to my sponsor, ara.com healer to get a 14-day free trial and have peace of mind knowing your information is safe. Again, that's ara, A-U-R-A, dot com slash healer for your two-week free trial. Therapy has been so largely beneficial on my mental health journey, and I'm really excited to announce that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you know me, you've probably heard me say that therapy is mandatory because there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking help, and I think that every single person who walks this earth needs it. So I'm really excited to be connected with BetterHelp and offer affordable and accessible therapy um, the link will be in my show notes, or you can go to betterhelp.com slash healer. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash healer. Welcome to the You Are the Healer podcast. I'm your host, Sydney Rindernacht, a psych nurse here to educate, support, motivate, and encourage you to be your own healer and to help us grow and evolve and be our best selves. Let's get into the episode. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to place a trigger warning about the contents of this episode. I will be talking about eating disorders, self-harm, suicidality, depression, and PTSD. If you're in a space right now where you do not want to hear about those things, I send you love and I wish you all the best on your healing journey. Welcome back to You Are the Healer. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is my first real episode, so excited, nervous, feeling all the things. Um, today, I really want to start off with my mental health story and why I became a psych nurse. They kind of go hand in hand. And I want to share this because part of me feels like it gives me a little bit of like credentials to help people. Um, Basically, like I struggled and I learned through my own experiences how to help myself so I can teach other people how to help themselves too. But there's also like the deeper part of me is saying like there is so much connection when we share stories and when we share our past struggles. There's there's commonality and humans have such a a shared experience and I I truly believe that sharing your story is so powerful. It kind of takes the power away from this thing happened to me and it's like you're claiming it and you can use that. And so I want to share my story because I want to use my experiences, particularly my really hard experiences, to help other people. And another reason why I want to share all this stuff is because hearing someone talk about the things that they've gone through it just helps us feel less alone. And I know that that's kind of like a cliche, but when I was really in the thick of my like worst mental health, I felt incredibly alone. I felt like I was the only one that ever felt the things that I was feeling. 
So I'm just, I just, I, I just know intuitively that this is what I need to start the podcast with. Like I, I just know. So let's get into it. Um, this might be a little bit heavier. Not all of my episodes are going to be like a downer, but I don't even share this to be a downer. I think of all of the things that I've been through in my life and it's like a overarching theme of resilience. So I share this so you can kind of know a little bit more about me, feel less alone, feel connected. Um, and then you can kind of understand how I became interested in mental health and, and why I'm so passionate about it because it's like my greatest passion in life is mental health and helping people. So let's get into it. Okay. Actually, let's take some deep breaths. Okay. So breathe in through your nose. Think of like any positive, wonderful thing you want to add into your life. Hold it at the top and exhale. Release anything that you don't want in this moment. Release any judgment, any doubt, any overthinking. Another deep breath in through your nose. Think of something positive you want to add and exhale. Kind of feel your body just relax a little bit more into this moment, into the present. Last one, deep breath in through your nose and exhale. Shake it out. We're here. It's happening. That was, uh, that was kind of for me, but also for everybody else. Okay. Anyways, (laughs) so let's get into it. Um, my journey kind of started, um, I guess I'll give you some backstory. So I'm the youngest kid in my family. Um, and I have three other siblings. We're all very close in age. Um, and I was always growing up super, super sensitive. I remember having these crazy outbursts. Like there's this one, (laughs) there's this one time I was probably four, maybe three. And I was playing this game. Um, If anyone remembers the elephant, that's what I was playing. It's like a little thing where you catch butterflies and I couldn't get it. And my mom tells the story of like, I was like unhinged, like screaming at this elephant. Like I was just so upset because I couldn't win. Like I just remember feeling such intense emotions and I would have temper tantrums. I would cry. I was just very emotionally dysregulated, like as a child. So naturally being really sensitive and having siblings, if anyone has siblings, like you just know the dynamic, my siblings would pick on me so much because I was reactive. I mean, you could just look at me wrong and I'd be like, why are you looking at me like that? And I would just start crying. So like I was an easy target. Um, And me and my siblings, like we get along so, so well now. And I'm very grateful for that. But growing up, I was literally bullied by my siblings because I would have reactions and you know that sibling relationship is like love hate and so I was picked on all the time by my siblings and there was this one point I remember I was really upset my my siblings were making fun of me I don't even remember the context but I ran downstairs to my mom and I was inconsolable I was sobbing and you know she had a lot on her plate growing up four kids under the age of four like it was chaotic we literally called ourselves the house of chaos growing up Um, But I remember this moment where I was very upset and I came to her and she basically said something along the lines of like, you need to quit giving them a reaction. They're going to keep picking on you like you're being sensitive and you need to stop is basically the gist of what I got. 
Um, and that moment really started like my spiral of mental health. I was like five or six. I was very young and I don't fault my mom at all for anything. Uh, Leanne's probably listening to this. Slay, Leanne, love you. Um, and something I like to say is like, everyone's doing their best. Like my mom didn't intentionally try to like make me feel neglected. She was probably just, you know, doing her best. And I don't, I don't hold any, any hate in my heart for anybody for that reason. So, uh, basically at a very young age, I felt like I was the problem. And so I took that one moment of I'm too sensitive. They're going to keep picking on me. And I kind of made it mean a bunch of stuff about myself. I really had so much black and white thinking. Um, if you don't know what that means, it's basically like, um, it's like all or nothing basically. Um, and so I took that, that moment and it formed so many beliefs about my life that even now at age 23, I'm still unlearning because I took this moment feeling neglected at age five or six. And I was like, well, my mom doesn't care about me and no one cares about me. And I'm the problem because that's kind of what I was feeling in that moment. And it created so many different um, cognitive distortions in my head. Um, and if you don't know what a cognitive distortion is, I did a little bit of research. And um, this is on um, Harvard Health. And it says a cognitive distortion is internal mental filters or biases that increase our misery, fuel our anxiety, and make us feel bad about ourselves. So basically, from a young age, I had a lot of mental filters that I taught that I told myself that I bought into the belief. And I basically made up stories about myself to justify the beliefs. So I was like, well, my mom doesn't care about me. And that's why, you know, she she doesn't want to make me feel better. And my parents never actually wanted me because if they wanted me, then they would have cared when I get emotional. And I made up like these crazy stories about myself that from a really young age, I was like, I'm a burden to everybody. That's what I thought. I thought that my parents didn't want me like that, that I, I would have bet a million dollars that that was true growing up. Um, and I just, I always felt like I was the problem. Um, and so I share all of this because it kind of trickles into the rest of my life. So when I was really, really emotional too, there was one moment, I don't remember who ended up giving me my first journal. It was either my grandma or my mom. Um, and they basically were like, this is a place where you can put all of your shit. <laughs> um, cause I had a lot going on. Um, and so I don't want to make it seem like I have like a shitty family or anything like that. My family is stellar and they're doing their best. So I started journaling at a really young age and it was like, I called it my diary. It wasn't like the cool thing that journaling is now, but I wrote in a diary, which made me feel so much better. Um, and in a lot of ways, like my first love was writing and it was just getting something on a piece of paper. And I would, I would write like the crazy stuff in my journal because I had all these thoughts in my head. Um, and it was really like the first coping skill I ever had. Um, and so even to this day, I love journaling. Journaling is one of those things I can do now that like I will do it and immediately feel better. And like I'll do it on autopilot now because I formed such a strong habit of journaling that if I'm having a bad day, like, and I'm not even like thinking about anything, I'll just find myself like walking up to my room and grabbing my journal, which is awesome because it's, it's something that I found really helpful for me. 
Um, but anyways, so I went from that uh, negative experience growing up to all of these really, really negative cognitive distortions in my head. So I kind of navigated the world as if all of that stuff was true. I went about my life as if nobody cared about me. I went about my life as if I was a burden to others. So I didn't really open up to people. I didn't share anything because I thought like no one cared what I had to say. I was too much for people. Um, and so flash forward a couple years, I moved to America and um, in fifth grade, I was bullied really bad. <laughs> And I like laughing, but that's just because humor is a coping skill, okay? Um, and what was really unfortunate about – actually, okay, let's let's talk a little bit earlier. So I had that negative experience when I lived in Singapore, and then I moved out of Singapore um, after second grade. So in third grade, I moved to America, which I was not excited about because I had a good group of friends in Singapore, and I just – I moved back to Texas, and Texas is not – it's not my thing. It's just not for me. So I move and there's all of that um, anxiety that comes with moving, uprooting, saying goodbye to friends, going to a school where you don't really know anybody and everyone's friends. So I had a hard time with that in general. Um, and, you know, I'm sensitive. So like I, I just felt like I felt I feel things deeply. And so I felt like the, the shift of the move um, pretty strong and I wasn't thrilled about it. So there's that. I ended up making a couple friends. You know, elementary school is all right. Um, and then in fifth grade, I was unfortunately bullied. Um, and the thing that really <laughs> messed me up the most about it was that they were my friends at first. And so I had these group of like three friends um, and I really liked hanging out with them. I thought they were so funny. And then at some point, they just started being so mean to me. And I don't remember much of this time probably it's probably my brain trying to protect itself but um I remember they they cyber bully me and this was like right when phones came out this was fifth grade so this was like 2005-2006 well, that's not right <laughs> whatever whatever age I was in fifth grade I don't know probably 2008 whatever <laughs> disregard that <laughs> I'm not good at math, okay? Little sidebar. Math is hard and years and dates very confusing to me. Okay, but anyways, this was like no one had iPhones yet. Um, I had a little sidekick. Like people still had flip phones. Most people didn't really have a phone. But they would like bully me via text and stuff. And I was just so upset by it because they were my friends. And I remember telling my parents about it. Um and like my memories are so bad from this part of my life, but I, I just remember feeling like they didn't care and that they didn't do anything about it, which knowing my parents, they probably did, but I felt like no one's going to help me. Like these people are picking on me because I just suck as a human being. Like it tanked my self-esteem so much more. Um, and it already, I mean, it wasn't great anyways. So um, that really did something to me. And the more that I learn about mental health, the more it's just so interesting to me because um there's this there's this thing called adverse childhood events um or the ace study or whatever and there's basically all this criteria of things that can happen in your childhood that increases your risk for mental health disorders or suicide um and like moving is one of them bullying divorce things like that and so kind of going through my mental health story it's 
it, it makes sense why things happen the way that they did because I had adverse childhood events. Like, don't we all? Anyways, okay. So, bullying tanked my self esteem. Um, I ended up moving away from that friend group, just kind of sticking to the people that I felt better around, and and things are fine. Um, it was also around that time, though, unfortunately, that I started to develop a bad body image. Um, there's so much conditioning in this world about. Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Okay. There's so much conditioning in this world about how you look, um, especially as a woman, how your body is, that your value isn't being pretty and all this stuff. And I mean, everyone's subjected to the same, not the same conditioning, but everyone's subjected to societal conditioning. And so I remember, um, I think I was in fifth grade. Um, it, w- it was really just like the first time I felt fat, which ugh, just sucks. Like, <laughs> um, and so you throw that into being bullied, to feeling like my family doesn't care about me. And it was kind of just like a crock pot recipe for um, disaster, basically. So I went about middle school and middle school is arguably like the worst time I feel like for everybody because everyone just wants to fit in. Everyone just wants to feel cool. No one's confident in themselves. Everyone's changing. So I get to middle school and, um, just super depressed. Like I didn't make the cheer team in seventh grade, which was like a huge thing at the time. I felt like it was the end of the world. (laughs) Um, but it kind of fueled more, um, self-doubt, self-loathing. Um, and I compared myself to everybody and I'm a twin. So I'm comparing myself to my twin that made the cheer team. Um, and basically I just started getting really depressed because my, my thoughts created my feelings, right? So my thoughts of I'm not good enough, no one cares about me. I'm a burden caused feelings of sadness. And I just remember feeling so sad, like all of the time. So I was in seventh grade. Um, and I started trying to make myself feel better by, um, like restricting my eating, um, because I didn't feel good about my body. And then there was this one moment I remember, um, I mean, I was a little chunky kid, like, let's be real, okay, and, um, and I like to eat, okay, food's, like, a great part of life, (laughs) um, but I remember I was in, um, seventh grade, going into eighth grade, and, um, my mom was, like, really busy growing up, in the sense that, like, she was very involved in our lives, like, she was in, like, PTA and all that stuff, and so she was gone one night, and she gave us money to, to buy dinner, my older sister ordered some pizza, it was stuffed crust, stuffed crust cheese pizza, which arguably like literally the best pizza ever. But, um, there was a lot of me and my mom had such a tough relationship growing up and, um, there was just, it was a really tense dynamic. And so, um, I ate some pizza and my mom comes home and she's like, really, you guys got pizza. And this is no shade to my mom. I love my mother. Um, we went to therapy. So our relationship is top notch now but at the time like I said very tense growing up um and I remember uh basically her telling me like well how much how many pieces did you eat and then being like mad at me when I told her that I had like three pieces or something and she told me like well you need to go on a run the next day yeah basically just like I felt very guilty for eating food and um because I thought my mom didn't care about me and I felt like she was being mean to me. 
I was like, well, I'm going to show her. And then like right after that conversation, I went and I made myself throw up for the first time, which started this whole journey of anorexia and bulimia. And I'm very fortunate in the sense that I did not keep that up for very long. I There's about six months of middle school where I starved myself. I would throw up after meals. Um, and I mean, eating disorders also like go hand in hand with low self-esteem. That, that was a really hard time. Um, and it's, it's almost weird looking back at it now because it was, it feels like so long ago. Like I would never do that to myself now. I would literally never make myself feel that way. But it was, I look at it now. It's like, that was my attempt, like to make myself feel better. I felt horrible about myself. I felt horrible about my body and I was doing whatever I could to cope with those feelings. But the thing about eating disorders is it gives you this feeling of control. And if you've ever struggled with it, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, It's like, I could have the worst day ever, but I could compensate and I could control that by not eating, you know, or like I could feel bad about myself or I could just make myself throw up and then I would feel better. So the eating disorder really made me spiral downhill like way, way fast. Um, I, I mean, it was it was rough. This was also at the time when Tumblr was really big. And so I was huge into the depression Tumblr. I don't know if anybody else was. That was like, I have conflicting feelings about it because it's like definitely encouraging like self-deprecating behavior or self like sabotaging and self-harm and you know, things that aren't enjoyable. But at the same time, it gave me a place to feel like, okay, I'm not alone. Like there's people that want to like not wake up in the morning. There's people that don't feel like they need to eat. But then it was really problematic because it was like the, like they would repost images of people literally like skeletons. And I'd be like, that's going to be me. Like it like encouraged me to keep up the eating disorder. So that was, that was feeling the fire quite a little bit. And, um, at the time when all this was happening, I was very physically active. I was like a competitive cheerleader. I eventually became a school cheerleader and I was just like always running around doing stuff. I was very busy in extracurriculars and stuff growing up. And so um, I remember just being so tired because I wasn't eating. And if I was eating, then I was throwing it up. So I wasn't getting any nutrients in. And I remember this one point, like, I was like sitting around the toilet, like making myself throw up. And I was like, I can't keep this up. Like, this is not sustainable at all. Like it, it, I mean, it was, it was horrible. So, um, and then it, it, it was hard and I didn't give it up for, you know, I didn't give it up sooner because people were like encouraging it in the sense of like, oh, wow, you're losing weight. Like you look so good. Like, what are you doing? And it was like, you're getting all these reinforcements that like at any cost, like being skinny or being thin matters more. So it was like, it doesn't matter that I'm struggling so bad mentally because I look good and people are telling me I look good. So I might as well keep it up. Like they have no idea what's going on. So there was all of that as well. So I knew that having an eating disorder wasn't sustainable. I was falling asleep in class. I didn't have the energy to do cheer practice. I couldn't focus on anything because my brain was literally deprived of 
nutrients. And I remember the moment that I decided to stop. There was a while, and I mean, having an eating disorder is really tricky because, like, it helps you feel better. So there was, I mean, I knew when I was doing it, like, I don't like this. This isn't good for me. But I kept doing it because I didn't know what else to do to make myself feel better. And so that went on for a while. And I remember there was this one point after dinner, I was, like, running to the bathroom. Um, and I ran into my dad and I just remember him looking at me. He was like, are you okay? And I just knew that if the people in my life knew what I was doing to myself, they would be devastated. And I just, I'm, I'm so grateful for my dad because he, I mean, he just helped me so much growing up in the sense that like, I knew he loved me. Like he didn't, no one's perfect or anything, but I think that having my dad there really helped me growing up. Um, cause I knew like when I saw him, he would literally, he would like start crying if he knew that I was making myself throw up, if he knew how badly I felt about myself. So I remember passing him and being like, I can't do this to myself anymore. Like I, I, I just, I can't. And I was, I'm bad at keeping secrets. It was a big secret to keep. So I was like, you know what? Today's the day. No more eating disorder, right? Well, <laughs> I was still very emotionally dysregulated. I still had zero self-esteem and I felt bad all the time. I would wake up crying. I would go to bed crying. I didn't want to do anything. I mean, I was just so depressed. It was, it was exhausting. It was, it was such an effort to do anything. And so through, I think it was Tumblr. I think it was also some this friend I had in middle school, I learned about uh, self-harming. Um, and I, I don't even necessarily remember the first time I did it. But, oh, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I actually, like, when I was a kid, like, when I was, like, four or five, I remember, this is, like, so emo of me, such an emo kid. I would take, like, push pins and, like, stick them into my hands and feet like, just to, like, feel pain. <laughs> I'm just not remembering that. Like, damn, she was a sad girl growing up. Anyways, but the first time I, like, really got into um, self-harm, it was probably just a moment of, like, really intense, like, numbness. If anyone, you know, you struggle with depression or you have in the past, like, you know that, like, it feels like nothing matters. And, like, what's the point? Everything's numb. And so... I started cutting myself because it helped me feel less numb. And oh, just like looking back on that time in my life is just, it's like difficult because I wish I could go and give like seventh grade Sydney like a hug and be like, you don't have to do this, babe. Like, this is not the way. But once I started self harming, it was like an addiction. Oh my God. It was. Because it made me feel so much better. It was like this release. Um, even now, like, like thinking back on it, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else like felt that good. And it's, it's weird. And if you've never done it, you're probably like, oh, are you crazy? Because it's, I mean, it's literally harming yourself. Like you feel, you're making yourself feel pain on purpose, but it's like reminding you that like you're alive. And it's like, I, I, I looked into it a little bit ago, but it literally releases, um, like the happy chemicals in your brain, like dopamine. 
um oh wait it releases um sorry endorphins so it's like the same feeling you get after you have a really good workout um and it literally like it makes you feel better um which is just it's it's ironic almost because you're like hurting yourself but it makes you feel better whatever so i remember the first time i ever self-harmed i was like oh shit like this is this feels great and so it kind of started this like addiction basically and it it went hand in hand with like I felt bad about myself so then I would want to hurt myself and then the hurting myself would feel good and it was just like it was kind of the same thing with the eating disorder like I could have the worst day of my life but I'm like I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna cut myself and I'm gonna feel so much better um but self-harm is also a really hard thing to keep up because I didn't want anyone knowing like I was such a closed book I was like well I'm a burden to everyone so I'm not gonna tell anyone I'm having a bad day I'm not gonna tell anyone I'm struggling I'm not gonna tell anyone that I'm marking myself up because like no one cares to know and it was it was a hard thing to keep up because like I said I was a cheerleader and so like we would practice in like sports bras and shorts so I didn't have a lot of areas on my body that I could cut myself with where people wouldn't see so I mainly just did like my hips and like the sides of my body um and then there was a a couple points where I did like my wrists and stuff um, but people noticed and I was mortified. I was em- so embarrassed. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not like, oh, I don't know what happened. Like, I'm such a bad liar too that I just, I couldn't keep it up. Um, and the self-harm went right into, uh, suicidality. Um, I mean, I was just at such a low point in my life that I would wake up and I was like, I wish I was dead every morning. I, I thought that for a couple months of my life. And I won't get into the nitty gritty, but I attempted a couple times. One of the times I ended up um, in the hospital, but not because I was being truthful, because I had overdosed and I slept through my alarm for school the next day. And I remember, I mean, I didn't tell anyone what was going on. So I feel like the way that I'm talking about my mom makes her sound really bad. But like my mom is literal angel, like she had no idea and we've talked about this like she had no idea that I was struggling because I I just kept everything under wraps like I was so good at it I say I'm not bragging about that but at the time I really prided myself in no one knowing what was going on with me um and I, I told her um and you know once I told her about like my mental health and stuff I was like it was my full-time job to keep anyone from knowing what was going on with me I worked at it relentlessly because all of the things I was doing, like you eat around other people. Like it was just, you know, I worked really hard so that no one knew what was going on with me because of all those negative beliefs I had about myself from growing up. Um, But anyways, so I had overdosed and um, my mom went into my room to wake me up for school. And she was like, you missed the bus. Like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe this. Like, you know, basically like scolding me for sleeping in when I like didn't want to wake up that day. And I just, I felt horrible. I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to be here at all. And now my mom's yelling at me. Like, I just wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. Like I kept thinking that over and over. And it's like, those thoughts suck so much energy out of your brain. Like I had, I had no space for anything else besides one direction. If you know, you know, but anyways, (laughs) um, 
I was like, I don't feel good. And she was like, well, do we need to go to the doctor? I was like, yeah. So we end up going to like Texas Children's and um, the guy checks me out. I'm like physically fine. Like I didn't, I wasn't that hardcore. I didn't take that many pills. I just took a, I don't even remember what I took. I took like an assortment of random stuff and um, we get there and he was like, well, like, do you have a headache? I was like, yeah, I guess I have a headache. So he gave me Motrin and then discharged me. Um, and I remember like, I think I, I think subconsciously, I really just wanted someone to help me and to tell me like, it's going to be okay. Like this isn't the way. And I remember keeping that hospital band on me forever because it's not even like, I didn't want the attention of being in the hospital, but I just wanted to know that somebody cared about me. Um, which just makes me so sad because like there were people that cared about me. I just didn't believe it because it didn't fit with the beliefs I had about myself. Anyways, so I do this, the self-harm suicidality that, that lasts a little bit and it actually ended up stopping. Um, I got into a relationship freshman year of high school and, um, the guy I was dating, it was clear to me that he cared about me and he liked me. And so I was like, wow, like someone, someone likes me like, oh my gosh. And I just the same thing as, you know, I didn't want anyone knowing. I didn't want him knowing, like, how bad about myself, how bad I felt about myself. I didn't want him seeing my scars. I just, like, wanted to do better, like, for him, basically. Um, so my freshman year of high school, I stopped doing all the things, all the, like, self-sabotage things. Um, and, and high school, the rest of high school was pretty great, honestly. Um, but words, words are hard. (laughs) Um, going from really intense depression to a relationship taught me like basically, oh, like men will make you feel better about yourself. So then it went from like having trouble eating to self-harm to using men to feel better about myself, which is something that like is taking a lot of effort to unlearn, especially in our society that conditions us that being in a relationship is like the the top place to be or being conditioned as a woman like you are not valuable by yourself basically so i share all of this stuff because like everyone has their thing like everyone has you know their experiences and the things that they struggle with and so i share this because i know that other people have been through what i've been through and I came out on the other side. So I don't even know. My healing journey kind of started like when I got into that first relationship, but it wasn't necessarily anything I was putting a lot of attention to. It was just like I was distracted and I felt better. So I stopped wanting to hurt myself and I stopped, you know, feeling like shit about myself because I'm like, oh, somebody loves me. So I basically associated like healing with men because I did better with a man around, basically. (laughs) And now, years later, (laughs) I'm unlearning, you know, that you need to be with someone in order to heal. Um, so from high school, I go to college and I always kind of knew I wanted to be a nurse. I actually had pretty weird story, but my, my great grandmother's twin sister was a psychic for a living. And, um, she basically told my mom that she's going to have twins and she said one of them's going to be a nurse, which is interesting because both of us are nurses. <laughs> but anyways, 
So I knew that. And then I had a teacher in high school tell me that I would make a really good nurse. And I was like, that fits. I want to help people, you know, whatever. And um, so I go to college and I go to nursing school. Um, and we're going through clinicals. And I love the aspect of helping people, but I didn't love like medical nursing at all. I just found it like there was no dignity in it. Like people can't eat, they can't bathe. They can't do anything on their own. And I just felt bad for the patients. I was like, damn, this sucks. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I knew that nursing was for me, so I didn't really think too much of it. I was like, oh, I'll find, the, I'll find my fit, whatever. And going into nursing school, I always thought I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse because, like, I love a chaotic environment. Like, I do really well under pressure. And labor and delivery to me felt like something that was like, oh, my gosh, like, this chaos is going to happen. Um and I just love family dynamics and women's health. I love. So that's what I thought I was going to do when I went to nursing school. And um, I actually had my psych rotation the semester before my OB and PEDS rotation. And um, I, I just think that everything works out in divine timing because a lot of my friends, basically, I, I went to the University of Pittsburgh and junior year, they split you up into two groups. And I was split into the group that not like my core friend group wasn't really in they were in the other rotation but I just remember feeling I was like you know what like I'm not gonna you could request a switch with somebody and I was like I'm not gonna do that like I was put in this you know rotation for a reason so let me just like let me just do it and see what happens right so it allowed me to become friends with people that I wasn't normally friends with because my core friend group was in other classes and stuff and I had my psych clinical the semester before my OB which was opposite of all my friends and thank God, because I was looking forward to OB so much. Um, and I get to psych clinical and I have all this stigma like pumping through my veins. I'm like, oh my gosh, like someone's going to be violent towards me. Like, oh, like the crazy people. Like, I just want to get this over with, like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I just had so much stigma. So I get to psych clinical and I'm at the Veterans Hospital and it's on a dual diagnosis unit which is basically like any two mental illnesses. Um, at the VA, it's a lot of PTSD, a lot of substance use, things like that. And I remember getting there and just being like in shock at the way that like a psych unit was set up. I was like, wait, 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 wait. These people can walk? <laughs> I was like, these people can come get their meds? I was like, these people are in their own clothes? I was like, this is completely different. Like there's a sense of autonomy here. And if, if you work in healthcare, if you have any experience with like medical hospitals, like you don't have a choice with most of the stuff. And in the psych hospital, I was like, you can choose to come up and get your meds. You can choose to what shirt you're going to wear that day. And it was just like, wow, this is so different. But I just remember loving it, like absolutely loving it. And I'll never forget, basically um, at clinical, they're like, sit down and talk to somebody um, and then come back and then you can read their chart and then we can all talk about it. I was like, okay, cool. So I remember I sat down next to this guy and he just opens up to me about basically his mental health story. And he talked about how he struggled when he came back from war with flashbacks and how drinking made him feel so much better. But then he got to a point where he was drinking so much and started using drugs. And he's just like, my entire life just fell apart. And we just had such a good conversation and it felt so easy. And I just felt like like what he was sharing with me was almost sacred. I was like, I am honored that you 
you know, trust a stranger enough to, to give them this information. And I just, it was one of those things. If, if, if you're a little spiritual, there's like the flow state is like when you're doing something and like time just passes by, like you feel like so in line with your purpose and stuff. And that's exactly how I felt um, in college talking to that guy. And we came back from clinical and my clinical instructor was like, well, how was that? And I'm like, let me talk about my experience. I'm like, that was great. I feel, I feel awesome. This guy opened up to me and it was so powerful. And everyone looked at me and they're like, what, what experience did you have? Because I had a horrible time. And I was like, you had a horrible time? I was like, what? This is awesome. Like, what do you mean? And it was kind of then when I was like, oh, like maybe I'm going to be a psych nurse. <laughs> um, but the reason why I liked it so much was because I had, I struggled too. Like I, I knew what it was like to feel really, really depressed and to want to do something harmful to yourself to feel better. And I just related so much to, to other people struggling and the vulnerability, the vulnerability that that man shared with me, it, it just lit me up. And I just, I knew that, that it was my calling and I'm forever grateful that I, didn't switch my clinical sections that semester because I applied to a student nurse internship that semester. And I was like, you know what? I like psych enough. Like, let me just apply to psych. And then I got this psych internship on a different hospital on a different unit. And I ended up loving that too. And so it really just like, and then it also gave me like a part-time job in college. So I was working in mental health, like all throughout college, which was really nice because, um, you know, we switched to the OB clinical and I have labor and delivery and I'm like, yo, this is kind of boring. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, I was watching some girl in labor for like hours and then I never got to see the delivery and I had to leave before. So like I didn't have the greatest experience, but I was like, thank God I had psych first because then I have the internship in psych. And I also um, did my transition semester. So in nursing school, you have like a semester where you basically like slowly transition into being a nurse on your own. And I was on the postpartum unit. So it was like mom, baby. And I thought that that's what I loved. And I found myself like getting excited to go to work and dreading going to clinical in the mom baby unit. So it kind of just solidified like, okay, I'm going to be a psych nurse. Um, now I want to talk more about like, how did I fall into healing? Because my healing from all of my like uh, self-sabotaging behaviors was kind of accidental. Um, and so basically what really led me into like my true like passion for bettering myself and healing it was also an accident Some, something crazy happened so in college this was my junior year so this was after I knew that I wanted to be a psych nurse and all that stuff I became a lot more interested in mental health and psychology in general but um I was walking home from the gym one day and literally right in front of me I like watched someone slip fall get run over by a bus and die right in front of me and that was incredibly, incredibly traumatic for me um, because I was like literally 10 feet away and I just, oh, it was this visual in my head. It was just, oh my God, it was horrible. And so after that experience, I had like full-fledged PTSD. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate. I was having flashbacks. I just like couldn't function. Um, and it was right on campus in my college and it was like when it was raining. So anytime it would rain, I would think of it. And I like, it was right um, on a street that I had to walk to all the time to get to class, to get to the gym. And, um, I, and I couldn't, you know, just avoid it. So 
I scheduled a session at the counseling center at my university and I had never been to therapy before and I get there and honestly I'm not gonna I'm not gonna preach about the counseling center it's pretty mid it's a pretty mid session but it helped me feel a lot better and after a couple sessions I really like was able to function better but the main thing that that experience taught me was like it is okay to ask for help and it's okay to share with people and to be vulnerable which was something that I was not used to doing at all before growing up. So after that event happened, I remember I came home and I told my roommates, I was like, holy shit, like I just saw this crazy thing. And they're like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. And then it was actually sorority recruitment at that time. And I had to go work recruitment. Thank God I wasn't like doing the recruiting. I was like a Rogan. So I was helping the, the new members find their sororities. But I remember I get there and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I just kept thinking about the event. And it was also like, you know, I know CPR and everything. And I stood there frozen. Like I didn't go in and help or anything. And so I felt really guilty. And then I found out like later that day that that girl died in the ER. And then I later found out that that girl was actually in a sorority. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so it was just a really rough day. And I remember um, the head of recruitment or the head of the Panhellenic community came up and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, honestly, like, I'm really struggling. Like, like today is hard. And she was like, you can do whatever you need to do to feel better. Like, you don't have to do your rogue game responsibilities. Like, go be with people that make you feel better. Like, like you're released of all of your duties, basically, is what she told me. And so I was able to get into my sorority suite. And, like, everyone knew that I was there. Like, word travels fast, especially around recruitment. And so I, like, went into my sorority recruitment and just like let people support me and like let, people were giving me candy people were giving me hugs like you know it was just like really real and vulnerable and I just learned like if you let people in like they can help you and it's okay to need help um and so basically that super traumatic event led me into seeking individual therapy like on the reg um which has done incredible things for my mental health um, and through therapy, I just realized a lot of my limiting beliefs around my childhood, um, just better communication, understanding myself better. And um, so I started individual therapy my junior year, and then I've just been in it since, basically. And it's been it's been years of therapy and growth. And and now I I feel like my mental health has never been better. Now I have this really solid wellness routine, and I'm just giving myself a lot of grace, and I'm really enjoying who I am and all of that stuff now. So <sighs> that was very intense to get through. I don't even want to say get through. That was intense to share because only a handful of people know all that stuff about my life. Um, but I just know, like, I just knew that this had to be the first episode because now all of you people know why I care so much about mental health because I know what it's like to struggle I've been, I've suffered so much before that I want to help people in that situation and I want to help people keep themselves well. You don't even have to be actively struggling. I just want to encourage people to stay well and to to take care of yourself because like if you're not going to take care of yourself nobody else is. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. But you are your own caretaker. Like there's no one else that's going to do this healing work for you. And I say that in a supportive and encouraging um, tone because, like, that's that's what this is all about. Um, 
So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for giving me space to share. Um, I promise the other episodes are going to be more, you know, more teaching, more support, more education type stuff. But I just really felt like sharing my story would help people realize like who I am, why I care, why, you know, I'm able to help people and why I'm so passionate about it. So thank you so much for listening. I would love it so much if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it, post it on your socials, text it to someone. Uh, If I get 100 listens, then I can start getting some ads, getting some moolah rolling in. So I would really love it if you shared this message. I'm thinking my structure for future episodes and posting, I'll probably post every other week just because your girl works a full-time job. Um, And all this podcasting and stuff is very new to me. If you could tell, I bought a microphone, so hopefully the audio is a little bit better. But um, editing and stuff is rather difficult for me. So if you know someone that like knows how to edit a podcast, uh, let me know. Give me their number or something because I would love a collaboration. (laughs) Um, But that's all for this episode. I just want to remind you that you are worth the effort it takes to heal. May you have peace. And until next time, may you be well. Quick disclaimer that all the views expressed in You Are the Healer are my own. They are not a substitute for any legal, professional, mental health advice. It is just educational purposes and me sharing my experiences. This podcast is not intended to replace any professional medical or mental health advice.